What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Speech Analysis on the Public Speaker Podcast. Now, today's speech is pretty cool. It's about three things I learned uh, while my plane crashed by Rick Eilis. Uh, this was a very interesting speech, obviously a very head-grabbing uh, title. I think the main takeaway from this speech is how Rick tries to get the audience to visualize something that um, hopefully most people will never have to endure in their life, and then figure out a way for the audience to feel impacted. So the, the, the point of this speech is, is primarily for impact, right? It is a persuasive speech that tries to use the elements of a near-death experience to get people to change the way they understand their life and to get them to change the way they understand the concepts of regrets uh, along with mortality. So I think this speech does a really good job at just making the audience feel implicated in what Rick is trying to get them to feel and also get them to take a stronger look at what they're doing right now from the perspective of someone who almost had nothing um, a after this potential plane crash and thankfully he was saved. Um, so this is a very interesting talk. It's not too long. I wish it was longer because I would I would like to hear more from Rick. But nonetheless, I think it was a really good talk. And the, the, the real big takeaway from this is how to get an audience to sort of feel the emotions you're feeling. Um, the, the public speech itself, if you, if you watch it, there's not a lot of body movement. There's not a lot of hand movement. There's nothing theatrical about it. The content of the speech is what really brings the audience along the journey. Um, and, and it's an emotional journey, you know. But I, I really like the speech analysis. Hopefully you guys enjoy. And let's get into the talk. So imagine a big explosion as you climb through 3,000 feet. Imagine a plane full of smoke. Imagine an engine going clack, 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 clack. Sounds scary. Well, I had a unique seat that day. I was sitting in 1D. I was the only one who could talk to the flight attendants. So let's talk a little bit about this introduction. Um, this introduction is very interesting. The point of it is essentially a visualization introduction. So what the speaker is trying to do is get the audience to imagine if they were in his shoes and what it would feel like if they were seeing these types of uh, things that were happening. So he's trying to use a little bit of vivid imagery and then uh, putting himself at the front of that vivid imagery so the audience gets to recognize that imagine if they were there and then they realize, oh, the person that's speaking was literally right there. Um, so that gives you a little bit more of a awareness about where this talk is going to go, where it's coming from, and what the message of the talk is going to be, particularly from an individual who experienced something firsthand. So I looked at them right away, and they said, no problem. We probably hit some birds. The pilot had already turned the plane around, and we weren't that far. You could see Manhattan. Two minutes later, three things happen at the same time. The pilot lines up the plane with the Hudson River usually not the route. <laughs> he turns off the engines. Now imagine being on a plane with no sound. And then he says three words, as unemotional three words as I've ever heard. He says, brace for impact. I didn't have to talk to the flight attendant anymore. <laughs> Uh, so this is obviously pretty funny. Um, there is a way to use humor when you're talking about very traumatic, horrible events in a way that doesn't make it seem like you're being insensitive to those events, but rather makes it seem as if you're trying to see the positivity or the bright side of things even when things are really bad. So in this case, obviously, uh, he couldn't talk to the flight attendant anymore, anymore because there's no need to. The pilot saying brace for impact has already made everything very clear that this is inevitable now it's just a question of like how we're going to go 
through it. Um, so this type of humor really does well in front of audiences because most audiences can recognize the inevitability of something bad happening and then the ability to put in a sliver of humor to find some optimism within that bad thing without sounding like you're insensitive to what's actually happening. I could see in her eyes, it was terror. Life was over. And I want to share with you three things I learned about myself that day. I learned that it all changes in an instant. We have this bucket list. We have these things we want to do in life. And I thought about all the people I wanted to reach out that I didn't. All the fences I wanted to mend. All the experiences I wanted to have and I never did. As I thought about that, later on I came up with a saying, which is, I collect bad wines. Because if the wine is ready and the person is there, I'm opening it. I no longer want to postpone anything in life. And that urgency, that purpose has really changed my life. The second thing I learned that day, and this is as we um, clear the George Washington Bridge, which was by not a lot. <laughs> I thought about, wow, I really feel one real regret. I've lived a good life in my own humanity and mistakes. I've tried to get better at everything I've tried. But in my humanity, I also allow my ego to get in. And I regretted the time I wasted in things that did not matter with people that matter. And I thought about my relationship with my wife, with my friends, with people. And after, as I reflected on that, I decided to eliminate negative energy from my life. It's not perfect. It's a lot better. I've not had a fight with my wife in two years. It feels great. I'm no longer trying to be right. I choose to be happy. The third thing I learned... That's a pretty impactful statement right there. So when he says, I no longer try to be right, I try to be happy, he's sort of making an implicit dichotomy that when we have our sense of ego uh, trying to create the distinction between who we are and how we perceive the world to, to perceive who we actually are, um, ego comes in the way. And then we try to be right in order to fulfill our own understanding of ourselves and to get the world to understand us. Whereas we could just be focusing on happiness, right? And that doesn't require us always being right or always winning the argument, but that rather it requires us being content with who we are and what we want to do. Um, which, so that distinction, I think, is a line that will stick with a lot of audience. You can see in some of the, in some of the footage that audience members are taking notes. I, I'm pretty sure someone wrote down, don't be right, be happy. Uh, essentially meaning don't sacrifice the ego and the fulfillment of yourself over the long-term sustainability of your own emotions and happiness. And this is as your mental clock starts going 15, 14, 13. You can see the water coming. I'm saying, please blow up. Right? I don't want this thing to break in 20 pieces like you've seen in those documentaries. And as we're coming down, I had a sense of, wow, dying is not scary. It's almost like we've been preparing for it our whole lives. But it was very sad. I didn't want to go. I love my life. And that sadness really framed in one thought, which is, I only wish for one thing. I only wish I could see my kids grow up. About a month later, I was in a performance by my daughter, first grader, not much artistic talent, <laughs> yet. So this guy is being really funny throughout this entire speech, which I really like, right? He's trying to take a very harsh topic and find uh, humor and positivity in it. What he said right now that really made me curious was that it's not scary to die, it's just sad. And that actually is really sitting with me. I kind of wish this TED talk was longer so he could go into that, but um, let's see where the talk goes from here. 
And I'm bawling. I'm crying like a little kid. And it made all the sense in the world to me. I realized at that point by connecting those two dots that the only thing that matters in my life is being a great dad. Above all, above all, the only goal I have in life is to be a good dad. I was given the gift of a miracle of not dying that day. I was given another gift, which was to be able to see into the future and come back and live differently. I challenge you guys that are flying today, imagine the same thing happens on your plane and please don't. But imagine, and how would you change? What would you get done that you're waiting to get done because you think you'll be here forever? How would you change your relationships and the negative energy in them? And more than anything, are you being the best parent you can? Thank you. Okay, so this was a really interesting talk. Um, one of the things I want to stress on it is that if you've, like, now that you've seen sort of the video, that there is not a lot of body movement, there's not a lot of articulation of the voice, there's not a lot of facial expressions, not a lot of hand movement. This is why one of my, like, core arguments about public speaking is that none of that stuff really matters, right? Like, it matters, and it's super important, but the content of your speech will always outweigh any technical thing you can do. That doesn't delegitimize the technical things because I teach them, I think they're important, I think they add value, but content is what matters, right? What you're saying, what your argument is, what's really gonna stick with people. So you could sort of see the entire audience was hooked onto this guy's story because he had a very interesting story which um, will usually overcompensate for like the lack of technical public speaking skills, um, but both of them together obviously make e an even better product. The second thing I want to say is that I think the ending of this speech is very metaphorical, which is a really good way to conclude it. So he said, imagine all of you guys who are flying, um, like uh, imagine yourselves in that plane and then what you would do if you had the same experience as me. He's not saying that like literally imagine your plane crashing. Rather, he's saying imagine that your death was near. Imagine that it was almost time to go. The whole point of this story was that death created the inevitable change in his life that forced him to think differently about the world and made him conclude that the only thing that makes him happy is wanting to be a good father. It's it's his relationship with his daughter that pre creates a, a sense of fulfillment and happiness that allows him to find meaning and purpose in life. When he's asking the audience to imagine their plane being in that same situation, he's asking them to really look into themselves and imagine if it was five, four, three, two, one time to go, what regret do you have that you don't want to have anymore? So I thought the end of the speech, he doesn't have to say he's making a metaphor explicitly, implicitly he's already implying that. Uh, and I think that's a really awesome ending to the speech. So overall, I like this speech. Let me know what you think about it. Leave a speech in the comments that you'd like me to review. And I will see you guys on another episode of Speech Analysis. Bye.